0: book two chapter seven part three of the octopus by frank norris this librivox recording is in the public domain but presley found that it was impossible for him to stay at los muertos that day gloom and the shadow of tragedy brooded heavy over the place a great silence pervaded everything a silence broken only by the subdued coming and going of the undertaker and his assistants When Presley, having resolved to go into Bonneville, came out through the doorway of the house, he found the undertaker tying a long strip of crepe to the bell-handle. Presley saddled his pony and rode into town. By this time, after long hours of continued reflection upon one subject, a somber, brooding malevolence, a deep-seated desire for revenge, had grown big within his mind the first numbness had passed off familiarity with what had been done had blunted the edge of horror and now the impulse of retaliation prevailed at first the sullen anger of defeat the sense of outrage had only smouldered but the more he brooded the fiercer flamed his rage sudden paroxysms of wrath gripped him by the throat abrupt outbursts of fury injected his eyes with blood he ground his teeth his mouth filled with curses his hands clenched till they grew white and bloodless was the railroad to triumph then in the end after all those months of preparation after all those grandiloquent resolutions after all the arrogant presumption of the league the league what a farce what had it amounted to when the crisis came was the trust to crush them all so easily was s behrman to swallow los muertos s behrman presley saw him plainly huge rotund white saw his jowl tremulous and obese the roll of fat over his collar sprinkled with sparse hairs the great stomach with its brown linen vest and heavy watch chain of hollow links clinking against the buttons of imitation pearl and this man was to crush magnus Derrick. Had already stamped the life from such men as harran and annixter this man in the name of the trust was to grab los muertos as he had grabbed quien sabe and after los muertos broderson's ranch then osterman's then others and still others the whole valley the whole state presley beat his forehead with his clenched fist as he rode on no he cried no kill him kill him kill him with my hands The idea of it put him beside himself. Oh! To sink his fingers deep into the white, fat throat of the man, to clutch like iron into the great puffed jowl of him, to wrench out the life, to batter it out, strangle it out, to pay him back for the long years of extortion and oppression, to square accounts for bribed jurors, bought judges, corrupted legislatures, to have justice for the trick of the Rancher's Railroad Commission the charlatanism of the ten percent cut the ruin of dyke the seizure of quinsabi the murder of harran the assassination of annixter it was in such mood that he reached carraher's the saloon keeper had just opened his place and was standing in his doorway smoking his pipe presley dismounted and went in and the two had a long talk when three hours later presley came out of the saloon and rode on toward bonneville his face was very pale his lips shut tight resolute determined his manner was that of a man whose mind is made up The hour for the mass meeting at the Opera House had been set for one o'clock, but long before noon the street in front of the building, and in fact all the streets in its vicinity, were packed from side to side with a shifting, struggling, surging and excited multitude. There were few women in the throng, but hardly a single male inhabitant of either Bonneville or Guadalajara was absent. Men had even come from Visalia and Pixley. It was no longer the crowd of curiosity seekers that had thronged around Hooven's place by the irrigating ditch. The people were no longer confused and bewildered. A full realization of just what had been done the day before was clear now in the minds of all. Business was suspended. Nearly all the stores were closed. Since early morning the members of the League had put in an appearance and rode from point to point their rifles across their saddle pommels. Then, by ten o'clock, the streets had begun to fill up. The groups on the corners grew and merged into one another. Pedestrians, unable to find room on the sidewalks, took to the streets. Hourly, the crowd increased, till shoulders touched and elbows, till free circulation became impeded, then congested, then impossible. The crowd, a solid mass, was wedged tight from storefront to storefront. And from all this throng, this single unit, this living, breathing organism, the people, there rose a droning, terrible note. It was not yet the wild, fierce clamor of riot and insurrection, shrill, high-pitched, but it was a beginning. The growl of the awakened brute feeling the iron in its flank, heaving up its head with bared teeth, the throat vibrating to the long, indrawn snarl of wrath. Thus the forenoon passed, while the people, their bulk growing hourly vaster, kept to the streets, moving slowly backward and forward, oscillating in the grooves of the thoroughfares, the steady low-pitched growl rising continually from the hot, still air. Then, at length, about twelve o'clock, the movement of the throng assumed definite direction. It set toward the opera house. Presley, who had left his pony at the city livery stable, found himself caught in the current and carried slowly forward in its direction. His arms were pinioned to his sides by the press. The crush against his body was all but rib-cracking. He could hardly draw his breath. All around him rose and fell wave after wave of faces, hundreds upon hundreds, thousands upon thousands, red, lowering, sullen all were set in one direction and slowly slowly they advanced crowding closer till they almost touched one another for reasons that were inexplicable great tumultuous heavings like ground swells of an incoming tide surged over and through the multitude at times presley lifted from his feet was swept back 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 with the crowd till the entrance of the opera house was half a block away then the returning billow beat him again and swung him along, gasping, staggering, clutching, till he was landed once more in the vortex of frantic action in front of the foyer. Here the waves were shorter, quicker. A crushing pressure on all sides of his body left him without strength to utter the cry that rose to his lips. Then suddenly the whole mass of struggling, stamping, fighting, writhing men about him seemed, as it were, to rise, to lift multitudinous, swelling, gigantic. A mighty rush dashed Presley forward in its leap. There was a moment's whirl of confused sights, congested faces, opened mouths, bloodshot eyes, clutching hands, a moment's outburst of furious sounds, shouts, cheers, oaths a moment's jam wherein Presley veritably believed his ribs must snap like pipe-stems, and he was carried, dazed, breathless, helpless, an atom on the crest of a storm-driven wave, up the steps of the opera house, on into the vestibule, through the doors, and at last into the auditorium of the house itself. There was a mad, rush for places men disdaining the aisle stepped from one orchestra chair to another striding over the backs of seats leaving the print of dusty feet upon the red plush cushions in a twinkling the house was filled from stage to topmost gallery the aisles were packed solid even on the edge of the stage itself men were sitting a black fringe on either side of the footlights the curtain was up disclosing a half-set scene the flats leaning at perilous angles that represented some sort of terrace the pavement alternate squares of black and white marble while red white and yellow flowers were represented as growing from urns and vases a long double row of chairs stretched across the scene from wing to wing flanking a table covered with a red cloth on which was set a pitcher of water and a speaker's gavel promptly these chairs were filled up with members of the league the audience cheering as certain well known figures made their appearance Garnett of the Ruby Ranch, Gethings of the San Pablo, Keast of the ranch of the same name, Chattern of the Bonanza elderly men, bearded, slow of speech, deliberate. Garnett opened the meeting. His speech was plain, straightforward, matter of fact. He simply told what had happened. He announced that certain resolutions were to be drawn up. He introduced the next speaker. This one pleaded for moderation. He was conservative. All along he had opposed the idea of armed resistance except as the very last resort. He deplored the terrible affair of yesterday. He begged the people to wait in patience to attempt no more violence. He informed them that armed guards of the League were at that moment patrolling Los Muertos, Brodersons, and Osterman's. It was well known that the United States Marshal confessed himself powerless to serve the writs. There would be no more bloodshed. We have had, he continued, bloodshed enough. And I want to say right here that I am not so sure but what yesterday's terrible affair might have been avoided. A gentleman whom we all esteem, who from the first has been our recognized leader, is at this moment, mourning the loss of a young son killed before his eyes. God knows that I sympathize as do we all in the affliction of our president. I am sorry for him. My heart goes out to him in this hour of distress, but at the same time, the position of the league must be defined. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the people of this county the League armed for the very purpose of preserving the peace, not of breaking it. We believed that with 600 armed and drilled men at our disposal, ready to muster at a moment's call, we could so overawe any attempt to expel us from our lands that such an attempt would not be made until the cases pending before the Supreme Court had been decided. If when the enemy appeared in our midst yesterday, They had been met by six hundred rifles it is not conceivable that the issue would have been forced no fight would have ensued and today we would not have to mourn the deaths of four of our fellow citizens a mistake has been made and we of the league must not be held responsible the speaker sat down amidst loud applause from the leaguers and less pronounced demonstrations on the part of the audience A second leaguer took his place, a tall, clumsy man, half rancher, half politician. I want to second what my colleague has just said, he began. This matter of resisting the marshal when he tried to put the railroad dummies in possession on the ranchers around here was all talked over in the committee meetings of the league long ago. It never was our intention to fire a single shot no such absolute authority as was assumed yesterday was delegated to anybody. Our esteemed president is all right, but we all know that he is a man who loves authority and who likes to go his own gate without accounting to anybody. We, the rest of us leaguers, never were informed as to what was going on. We supposed, of course, that watch was being kept on the railroad so as we wouldn't be taken by surprise as we were yesterday. And it seems no watch was kept at all, or if there was, it was mighty ineffective. Our idea was to forestall any movement on the part of the railroad. And then when we knew the marshal was coming down to call a meeting of our executive committee, and decide as to what should be done. We ought to have had time to call out the whole league. Instead of that, what happens? While we're all off chasing rabbits, the railroad is allowed to steal a march on us, and when it is too late, a handful of leaguers is got together, and a fight is precipitated and our men killed. I'm sorry for our president, too. No one is more so. But I want to put myself on record as believing he did a hasty and inconsiderate thing. If he had managed right, he could have had 600 men to oppose the railroad and there would not have been any gunfight or any killing. He didn't manage right and there was a killing. And I don't see how the League ought to be held responsible. The idea of the League, the whole reason why it was organized, was to protect all the ranches of this valley from the railroad and it looks to me as if the lives of our fellow citizens had been sacrificed not in defending all of our ranches but just in defense of one of them los muertos the one that mr derrick owns the speaker had no more than regained his seat when a man was seen pushing his way from the back of the stage toward garnett he handed the rancher a note, at the same time whispering in his ear. Garnett read the note, then came forward to the edge of the stage, holding up his hand. When the audience had fallen silent, he said, "'I have just received sad news. Our friend and fellow-citizen, Mr. Osterman, died this morning between eleven and twelve o'clock. Instantly there was a roar. Every man in the building rose to his feet, shouting, gesticulating.' the roar increased the opera house trembled to it the gas-jets and the lighted chandeliers vibrated to it it was a raucous howl of execration a bellow of rage inarticulate deafening a tornado of confusion swept whirling from wall to wall and the madness of the moment seized irresistibly upon presley he forgot himself he no longer was master of his emotions or his impulses all at once he found himself upon the stage facing the audience flaming with excitement his imagination on fire his arms uplifted in fierce wild gestures his words leaping to his mind in a torrent that could not be withheld one more dead he cried one more harran dead annixter dead broderson dead Dabney dead osterman dead hooven dead shot down killed killed in the defense of their homes, killed in the defense of their rights, killed for the sake of liberty. How long must it go on? How long must we suffer? Where is the end? What is the end? How long must the iron-hearted monster feed on our life's blood? How long must this terror of steam and steel ride upon our necks? Will you never be satisfied? Will you never relent? You are masters. You are lords. You are kings. You are taskmasters. You are pharaohs. Will you never listen to that command? Let my people go. Oh, that cry ringing down the ages. Hear it. Hear it. It is the voice of the Lord God speaking in his prophets. Hear it, hear it, let my people go. Ramesses heard it in his pylons at Thebes. Caesar heard it on the Palatine. The Bourbon Louis heard it at Versailles. Charles Stuart heard it at Whitehall. The White Tsar heard it in the Kremlin. Let my people go. It is the cry of the nations, the great voice of the centuries. Everywhere it is raised. The voice of God is the voice of the people. The people cry out. Let us, the people, God's people, go. You are masters. You are kings. You are tyrants. Don't you hear us? Don't you hear God speaking in us? Will you never let us go? How long at length will you abuse our patience? How long will you drive us? How long will you harass us? Will nothing daunt you, does nothing check you? Do you not know that to ignore our cry too long is to awake the red terror? Ramses refused to listen to it and perished miserably. Caesar refused to listen and was stabbed in the Senate House. The Bourbon Lewis refused to listen and died on the guillotine. Charles Stewart refused to listen and died on the block. The white czar refused to listen and was blown up in his own capital. Will you let it come to that? Will you drive us to it? We who boast of our land of freedom, we who live in the country of liberty, go on as you have begun and it will come to that. Turn a deaf ear to that cry of, let my people go too long and another cry will be raised and you cannot choose but hear. A cry you cannot shut out. It will be the cry of the man on the street, the Allah Bastille, that wakes the red terror and unleashes revolution. Harassed, plundered, exasperated, desperate, the people will turn at last as they have turned so many, many times before. You are lords. You are taskmasters. You are kings. You have caught your Samson. You have made his strength your own. You have shorn his head. You have put out his eyes. You have set him to turn your millstones, to grind the grist for your mills. You have made him a shame and a mock. Take care, oh, as you love your lives, take care lest some day, calling upon the Lord his God, he reach not out his arms for the pillars of your temples. End of Book 2, Chapter 7, Part 3